Welcome to Up The Villa, the Aussie Villains podcast. It's a full crew today as we very excitedly, after not much sleep, talk about the big, big win against Southampton and look forward to our future games under Emery. This is Up The Villa, the Aussie Villains podcast. Slid into the 18 yard box. Bailey clips in the cross, and Bazunu took the gamble away by Lianco. Douglas Luis. And then the strike comes in, and it was as close to the corner flag as Gavin Bazunu's left hand post. Well, he'll be happy, Bazunu, that nothing's come of this because it was a difficult ball to come for. All right to Lianco. His cross is a dangerous one, and it finds its way into the back of the net, but the flag has gone up on the far side. Well, Che Adams had the chance to put it away. Kyle Walker-Peters was following up, and it all just looked a bit messy and a wasted opportunity. Bailey rolls the ball across. Chance here, which is beaten out by Bazunu. isn't it? Bailey and Ramsey. Play has been paused here at St Mary's Stadium because we have a drone flying over the top of the stadium here. So the referee just pausing play. The game and the players have to be taken off for safety until it can be clarified just who is operating that drone. He's weaving his way through the challenges. Cross-headed away by Tyrone Mings. Chance to do it again. Mara's in there, the ball rolled back to Warcraft. are returning to school in different parts of the country tomorrow there's madhouse uniforms and books and traffic and all those sorts of things we're sitting wherever we are this is up the villa the aussie villains podcast and boys we are all stoked i believe yeah just an incredible result isn't it just for for undefeated in four in january what a start to the year just Brilliant. Uh, what about you, Tess and Rhino? You know, I know you're sounding pretty chill at the moment, but you must be pretty excited. <laughs> um, it's a good weekend, if you ask me. Um, really, really happy um, with the three points. Um, I thought we played decent football during that game. I, 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 you know, I'd had a few people a bit concerned about not really finishing them up or getting a conservative 3-0 win. 
Uh, <laughs> based on what I said on my last pot on the last pot. Um, but it's three points in the bag. We were the better team throughout, um, and I felt like we deserved the win. So yeah, happy days. What about you, Rhino? Yeah, really happy with that win. And, you know, Southampton have got a couple of good results recently. So their tails were up and, you know, we would have been the favourites going into that. And, you know, just to come away with the win away from home, not a vintage display, but controlled the game, I thought. Plenty of possession. They had a couple of chances, but nothing to write home about. And, yeah, just really pleased with the performance overall, to be honest. And, you know, five wins out of seven since Emery's come in is just a massive turnaround, isn't it? Ladies, guys, why don't we listen to the man himself talk and then we'll come back and we'll get right into the game in, in depth uh, as a group, as we always do, with different perspectives. So we'll listen to Unai and uh, we'll come back. Hey, good evening. Very, very happy and very proud of our supporters. They are following us. They are supporting us. They were here. Uh, and uh, they, I, we were uh, when listening to their, their support in 90 minutes and it's very important. And, of course, very proud of, of them. I'm very proud of our work. And I think... Uh, uh, we, we are playing, being so, so competitive, but the first half, I think, as well, we were competitive and we played well, controlling the match, trying to concede then a lot of scoring, a lot of fault, a lot of chances, a lot of options to, to get our, our box. And then we had, as well, some chances to, to score, but we didn't do it. And the second half, we started the same the same move, and we started playing very well as well. But uh, when they did some change, they were pushing in 10 minutes, they scored one goal. And uh, our reaction was uh, to change something, but above all, uh, to uh, to try to, to wait again our moment to control the match and try to get some options, some chances to score. And we did it. And really, I think uh, we deserve because uh, I think the players' work was fantastic. And you work hard on set pieces. Were you pleased to see that pay off for Oli's goal? Yes, yes, very, very, very happy. Uh, I think uh, we have to add uh, a lot of players scoring, but uh, it's very important the striker like uh, Oli. Uh, scoring he, he he can take uh, the confidence as well uh, but uh, we are giving him confidence when he's scoring or not scoring because he's working and he's helping the team very well and he's doing his work like uh, at the beginning i want and three consecutive away wins in the premier league you must be pretty pleased with that form yes but uh, each match is going to be very difficult and uh, yeah really we are we are so happy about the way we are doing but uh, i want to be as well and uh, I know uh, we are being so so competitive and uh, we are as well taking the points after we were in the bottom but uh, I want to improve I want to do better I want to to be demanding with the players uh, and, uh, and to continue working uh, some improves uh, tactically some improves as well in our in our demanding move but uh, I think uh, we are there doing it step by step and, and the players they are responding well Interesting to hear. I don't think there was any surprises from Emery there. Um, he's talking about the depth and, and he's talking about the work that they're doing um, off the field, really working tactically, which we didn't hear. And I don't want to bag previous managers, but we haven't heard in a long time the real work done um, between him and his team. And they worked extremely hard on set pieces, which you could obviously tell. Um, so Emery's just... Oh, he's got us buzzing and, and he's everything football that we haven't had in many years. Hey, guys, um, you know, just when you're talking about the tactics there, if you don't mind, can I just have a couple of minutes to talk about the tactics there? 
Look, lads, I don't, don't overbore you with tactics, as you know, I'm a bit of a tactics geek. But I just, I just want to talk about the first half yesterday. Uh, lads, I think tactically, that's one of our best performances under Emery. Uh, mm-hmm. The way he set up was absolutely brilliant. Um, he obviously looked at Southampton, right, and said, right, they're on a run, they're on a buzz, they're at home. We, we, we need to take the sting out of this game very early and, and, and take any momentum the crowd are going to give the players, you know. So we barely went forward for that first 20 minutes. Anytime we got the ball, it was back, it was sideways, it was just really deadening the game. And it worked. The crowd went silent. And um, probably from about 25 minutes on, then we started pushing on and putting patterns of play together. But tactically, I, I really think he set up to just stop that any momentum because the crowd would have started well. You know, Man City or Southampton have had some good results since the Man City game. And I just wanted to talk about the 4-4-2 that he played last night. I don't know if any of you noticed it. It was a very strange... I was a, uh, He changed it a lot, didn't he? As in, Watkins and Bailey's both played wide. Yeah. Um, and I think what the idea of that was for the first 25, 30 minutes was... We, like everyone knows Southampton, their, their, their main threats come from set pieces and their fullbacks is where they try and get their creativity from. So Lyenko and Walker-Peters usually are up and down that wing. So he's obviously pushed Bailey and Watkins as wide as he can to make sure that those players couldn't get forward early. And um, I think the, the main attracting attacking threat from us was meant to come from JJ. So when pushed mm. Ollie and Bailey really wide and kept them wide and uh, JJ was the one getting in the box. And and I, I see a lot of places there that uh, people are complaining, saying Bailey, oh, back to Bailey. Bailey was, in my eyes, I thought he was excellent in, in, in the way that I think he, him and Kamara were both given very, very specific roles in this game. And Bailey's job was to keep as wide as possible and just keep that back four spread out so James yes. and Buendia could break the lines. And um, I, I, I thought it was very harsh the way people are, are coming down on Bailey. I, th- I, th- I thought he was tactically brilliant. Um and then also the other thing I wanted to say is Kamara, um, obviously in possession, he wasn't as good as he usually is, but I don't think his job was possession. I think Louise was the man given the possession role this time. Kamara was literally there to stop Ward Prowse picking up that ball. And what a job he done in that. Unbelievable. I thought, yes. tactically, in, I thought tactically in the first half, we were excellent. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I thought Louise today was the, the focal point, like yeah. he says, but he was all class today. Like really? his touches, his range of passing, his vision. He was seeing things that people just, you know, other players weren't seeing. Some of the passes out of trouble, deep in midfield, just taking the ball off Mings and Cons and releasing like Marino out wide. And, you know, Southampton got tied to him quite a lot, but his feet are just incredible. He's a great footballer. I thought he had a great game. And I was the same. I was like watching JJ and Buendia really closely today. And I really enjoyed watching both of them because they were drifting in. And often you'd see them start out wide, but then they'd pull inside. And they were obviously trying to pull Southampton's defence and midfielders everywhere across the 100%, park. And, 100%. Yeah. And, that, and, and Bailey and Watkins played a big role in that. You see a wide, yeah, two, it was wide like, the two of them stayed for the first 25, 30 minutes. It was incredible. And and you'd see JJ just drop in and he'd drop deep as well, pick up the ball, move, drop it off to someone else. And you'd see Wendy and JJ almost on top of each other at some points, but yeah. it worked really they're, well. They're playing they were link- patterns together, weren't they? Yeah, they were linking up they were, and they were pulling Southampton into all sorts of trouble. And there was so much space then for 
Watkins and Bailey to play in behind. And I, I just want to go back to your point on the last pod, Spud. And Buendia, for me, is putting together a really nice run of form at the moment. He's doing the little things, doing it really well. And he's benefiting, as you said in the last pod, from getting minutes, consistent minutes in the same position. And I'm loving it. Yeah, I, I, I concur. To be honest with you guys, I um, I was asleep. I fell asleep waiting for the game to come on. I think I knew you did, did Tess. I could, I, I, could, I, I knew you did because I could tell. Um, did you wake up in the second half? No, first half. But like, yeah. I got up at quarter past, and I was like, "Oh my god, the game's on!" Because I fell asleep watching um Chelsea Liverpool. Uh, and I can't blame you for that. To be honest. Oh my goodness me! So then I got up, and then it was like one fifteen in Queensland time so we're like 15 minutes in ran downstairs got the laptop brought it upstairs into bed and then I caught the game from 20 from like 20 minutes in onwards Tess can I stop you there is that stuff when you were a single man was it a similar thing that you used to do but not watch the soccer exactly run downstairs (laughs) get the laptop and bring it to bed (laughs) exactly (laughs) it was many moons ago but yeah (laughs) Um, I just felt I came into the game 20 minutes in and I from what I saw straight away, we were just dominating the ball the whole time. Kamara just seemed like he was just breaking stuff up and, and, and Doggy was doing the playmaking. JJ was trying to get forward and doing a lot of link-up, as Rhino um, mentioned. And I've got to agree with um, Spud there. Bailey and Watkins were hugging that touchline and that prevented uh, Walker-Peters and their, and their other um, left-back yeah. Yeah, from actually getting forward a lot. In fact, it it made them throughout the whole of the game actually stay back a lot more. I barely saw Walker Peters get forward at all um, because they were they were concerned about the threat of Bailey and his pace, and they were concerned about Watkins and his pace and the counter attack. So I thought tactically we were brilliant. But what was really nice to see is not only were the midfield doing really well in terms of the the passing and the the triangles that we were doing. But it was good to see people like Tyro Mings get involved as well and, and, and make that extra man in midfield at some points. Um, so I thought it was a it was going to be a tactical game. We kept um, Ward Prowse out of the game um, in the first half. And and well done, Villa. I, I mean, I, I can't see why anyone would see why that wasn't a good performance uh, yeah. or we were going there for the draw because I didn't see that at all. Um, yeah, we, but, we did what but... we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. Oh, look, I just took a couple notes in the first half. I, I, I was um, cognizant of something that Spud had said about being more in the moment in games and so forth. Um, just a couple of things that will back up exactly what you guys have said. Um, there were, I thought we had plenty of chances in the first half from about 25 minutes on. That's what I've got written down here, 25 minutes on, so many chances first half. I really thought just absolute man management the game management we have not i cannot remember a manager we've had like this to be honest he's thinking on, he's thinking on a different level to what we've ever seen you oh, know, as, yeah. villa, as villa fans now martin o'neill was a great manager to watch you know but he he was such a good man manager that he'd get it sorry no pilot yeah. the prop the motivate motivate people but you're right memory's brain tactically it's just it's beyond what we've seen at villa you know mm-hmm. I, and i've written here we need that next striker that is not putting watkins down every single good team in the top six has two to three strikers in the team. That's just an absolute fact. Yeah. Right? I think so, we, we were super light on on the bench today when we, like, it was, you know, it was really telling that how thin our squad is with two goalkeepers on the bench and uh, <laughs> a couple of young fellas, Kane Young and yeah, Seb Absolutely. 
Um, you can also see the style. We've been saying that the last few podcasts. Spud, you said it. Tess, you've summed it up. Same as you, Ryan. You could see the style playing out from back. And it wasn't just um, passing it back to, you know, try and um, find other spots. It was really keeping them wide. Yes. And we've seen that in the last few games. I'm absolutely loving it. They're all believing in it. And as we get players who are better on the ball and better on the ball, that tactic is just going to infuriate sides. It's what the Man Cities, the Arsenals, the, the Man U's, all those teams when they've been on top of their game, they're just so hard to get the ball off. And teams are exhausted in the second half. And you watch how many goals have come late in games for all those big six teams, right? That's going to be the same for us in, years, um, in, the, in, in the following years. Teams are going to be so exhausted trying to chase us down that I, I, I just love yeah. what he's trying to do. And yeah. the players have absolutely bought in. Another, um, another, another thing that I spotted today as well that I thought was very interesting, I mean, it was very clear that we were playing a lot higher line than we usually play as well, that we yes. have been playing in the last few weeks. And um, that, obviously they were trying to compact that midfield as much as they could to, to, to stop War Prost getting on the ball. So they made the midfield very compact, as you said, getting Mings to step up, getting Kanza to join in. And, and they were almost enticing Southampton to play that over-the-top ball, believing that Southampton didn't have the creativity to do it. They got through once or twice, but their Villa were ready for it. They were expecting it. So how, how quick yep. is Martinez off his line? You don't, yeah. him, you don't see him sweeper keeping that, that often like that. But he as soon like it was like you know setting traps. As soon as that ball mm. went over the top, he was gone. So yeah. I, I thought that yeah. was very good as well. Yeah. I, I, oh, sorry. Yeah, you, sorry, Rhino. You go. Well, no, I, I was just going to touch on what Paul was saying, playing out from the back. Our defenders and Martinez were just drawing Southampton's front two and three in and then releasing in Kamara, who were just sitting behind them into acres of space. And you could just see it. They were just waiting for Southampton to press. And as soon as the press came, they'd look for Louise and Kamara. And those two were just picking the ball up and could just move forward with, you know, no one on them. So it's brilliant. They're getting more comfortable playing out the back too. You can see it, aren't they? Yeah. You know, they were a bit yeah. jittery at the start, but they're all, even Cons and Mings, they're all looking more confident on the ball the more that they, the more they practice it, you know? Brilliant. Well, Tess, Tess is going to come in now. I just want to touch on what you've just said there, guys. They're not, you can tell they're non-stop working on that in training. And, and that's probably going to be a massive element of what they're doing now going it's forward. It's identity now. This is how we play football now, you know? Yep. And I think it goes back to the point where Spud made in the in the previous podcast that, you know, they're playing out from the back. They are keeping the ball to the very last minute. It's drawing in their attackers, which is creating space for us. And the players, game by game, just appear for me to be getting more and more comfortable being able to hold the ball for that extra touch or that extra second longer to make sure that their opposition attackers are coming in and then they can release somebody wide or through the middle or give it to Dougie or something. Special shout out to to Martinez and Ashley Young because and and, and to Tyrone Mings because you've got three leaders there. You've got yeah. three leaders yeah. who are clearly, in my opinion, demonstrating leadership in that whole team. They are literally displaying Martinez, the leadership has the captain wearing the armband. Tyron Mings and Ashley Young uh, are, are dominating and, and, and talking to, to players in the midfield. And Mings more in defence, but Ashley Young's doing that sort of more midfielder area and talking to players and showing that real leadership. And that sweeper-keeping that he did um, yesterday was fantastic to watch. Really, really fantastic to watch. It just felt like we had an extra man on the pitch at, at first time. Yeah, definitely. At, at time, sorry. I, I remember um, John Terry used to say that uh, Peter Cech 
was worth like 11, 12 points extra a season to Chelsea. And you're beginning to see that with Martinez now. Yeah. Even, even that save at the end there from, um, I think it was um, Gineppo in the top corner. What a save. Fingertip, top corner. I've got that to talk about when we focus on the second half a little bit more. Because I, I, I can No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, guys, there was a nine-minute delay in the first half due to a drone which the cameras actually picked up on the drone. It was a pretty pretty darn big one. You know, it's probably a four to $5,000 drone. Um, so I'm thinking it probably has come from somewhere in the uh, top six. They were trying to figure out where the drone had come from. <laughs> you know, I think it's probably someone in the top six getting a bit worried about us uh, contesting there. So. I reckon it's whoever's in 10th and ninth uh, and 10th place. <laughs> yeah, it did have um, it did have a bluey grey tinge, and it also had red lights. So it could have been the, a combined effort by those two teams. Um, can I touch on something else before we continue on? And it is something we were talking about financial fair play and everything. Um, I'll try and find the podcast and put a link up from another podcast. It was absolutely brilliant. It, um, it was talking about Chelsea's financial fair play, and it was from someone who's worked very closely with clubs working on their financial acumen for it. And and he went through the different players that were being sold, academy players, different things like that, and how it actually works. And it was fantastic because Chelsea are actually doing eight-year contracts um, Chelsea, uh, the players they're selling for quite big profits were academy players. So under financial fair play, academy players get huge discounts uh, over a five-year period. And the more I listened to it and then went and looked into it, uh, I know we've all thrown shade on Chelsea, but kudos to, to their uh, ability to do this. And the reason I bring it up is that in recent weeks and months, we've talked about a lot of our academy players who aren't quite good enough, but are going off on loan or being sold for amounts, which is actually over the next two to three years going to hold us in extremely good stead, uh, stead for financial fair play. Yeah, they're 100%, so, uh, 100% profit, aren't they, academy players? Yes, they're 100% yeah. profit. And there's also some calculation that goes into a three to five year part of the financial fair play. And I actually think what we're doing with our academy is going to hold us in extremely good stead um, for financial uh, fair play over the next few years. So I just wanted to bring that up because when it was explained a bit more to me and I've read so much on financial fair play, anyone saying that how are Chelsea doing this, they're actually almost running at a net profit on some of the players that they've um, they've gone with. So I just wanted to let... It's the eight-year contracts and the yeah. academy players. Um, Chelsea are actually within their rights to spend what they're spending. Because they were showing your man Murdoch there, Murdoch, the, the Ukrainian lad. Uh, I think they were all up. They're going to pay about eighty million for him, and uh, they gave him an eight-year contract, and they can actually put that against their books for ten million a year, as opposed to an yes. eighty million transfer. Uh, yes, yeah, mm. and so they're actually doing it better than a lot of other clubs are doing it. And the other thing is their actual weekly salaries. They were going through some of their big name players, and some of them, some of their big big name players were actually on less. And please, I'm not bagging this person; it's not his fault. They're actually on less or similar to um, uh, Danny Ings, and we're talking some of their best known players. So we, it, it touches on what we were talking about the other day. Don't get caught up, guys. In tra- not you guys as, as a community. Don't get caught up in transfer fees amount. That's only a small part of it. It's the weekly fees. It's everything else that comes into it. So 
Um, they're also saying though a thing that because you don't I, I don't think there's a massive um, rules in place that you have to give how much to to announce how much you've given a player for a signing on fee so if you're after giving a player only I say only only but in football terms it's only <laughs> say if you're only after giving them 120 grand a week but they don't know what they're after giving that player as a signing on fee because yeah. you're, you're, you're entitled under FFP to give a certain amount so they they might break their transfer fee and give them a 10 million bonus signing on but then only give them 120 20 grand a week, you know. So, yeah, but it's just, yeah. I, I suppose what I'm saying is that um, we can say whatever we want under the current financial fair play. Um, teams like Chelsea, you know, it was a, I'll see if I can find the link. It was absolutely fantastic. And it oh, really. Yeah, I agree with you, Paul. I, I, I think it's a very interesting kind of thing. And, and yeah, like, as we said the last time, Paul, there, when we were talking about it as well, these these clubs have the best accountants firms in oh, the yeah. world working for them. So they, mm. they're going to find loopholes left, right, and centre. And I don't so, even think I don't even think they're loopholes. I think uh, in the end, it's just really smart and um, yeah, yeah. above the board accounting. Is that the way? Is do you guys see that um, that may be the way for for us moving forward yes. yep. in terms of? Mm-hmm. I think to start not obviously this January transfer window, but I think the summer would be that kind of opportunity where there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be available uh, for transfer and all that sort of thing. So is that something do you reckon our club should start? Looking into trying I to get think, those sort of level they, contracts. I think they have started. They're, already, they're already well. They're already well into it, guys. Christian Parslow said that if uh, any player that's not he- having a have having an impression on the first team by the age of 22, 23, they're going to move on. Yep. So what yeah. they end up doing is moving them on for a million or two, and that's a hundred percent profit. And, and they've already moved on a couple in this window, haven't they? Yeah, Terry Ray, Ray has Ray gone. gone, and uh, yeah, there's a few Brad Young, I think, is another one who might have gone. So they they are they are sort of making those moves, and and that. You know, that's part of being in the academy, I guess, isn't it? Not everyone's going to come through and be successful in the first team, but it serves a purpose either way, you know. So, yeah, we've got to keep that academy strong. And, and Villa will, you know, the, the plans are in place and they're developing, mm. you know, the training ground and, you know, facilities well, in Birmingham to, to keep bringing these kids through. So, it's yeah, it's good uh, news. Apparently, like, was academy, another big one as well. 20 million straight for Oh, sorry. Sorry, mate. The academy and training ground are as good as some people's grounds. Yeah. yeah, and they're, they're, they're obviously putting more plans in place for a development centre in the middle of Birmingham as well to try and capture some more local talent. So, Genius, yeah, yeah. It's, it's positive, you know. Because if you go to Bodymore Heath, it's quite a bit outside the city. I, yes, I, I went to visit there the last time I was home there. And um, their idea as well, if we can't bring the best of young talents from the from the underprivileged areas of Birmingham to the training ground, let's bring the training ground to them, you know. Yeah, amazing. Mm. No, exactly right. And, and, and I suppose the other thing, guys, to say there is... Um, I, I know a lot of people will bag um, Birmingham City Football Club and all the rivalry and all that. I get that. Don't get me wrong. I understand it. But it kind of makes me somewhat, and this is not condescending, it makes me somewhat sad for them to see their ground crumbling. And it literally is. People are sending photos of um, massive lots of rust and crumbling concrete and all this. And we are just, we're looking at a 60,000-seat stadium. But it, I, I sent you guys the plans, I believe, of, you know, what they're looking to do around the ground as well. Because mm. I mean, it's going to be disappointing. It's going to be disappointing for, for teams like Birmingham because we still need to have somebody who's meant to be our rivals that we can, we batter all the time and stuff. So I'm hoping. With such money in the Premier League, it's sad to see any club going under. It shouldn't be happening anywhere. What happened no. to Bury was a joke. What's yep. happening at Birmingham City is a joke. What ha- it, it, like, the, the pyramid of football is 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 becoming a level 
a non-level playing field anymore. So I, I don't want to see any club going and struggling like that because, like, yeah. there's, you know, the, the, the football pyramid in England is so important. Like, like other countries around Europe, uh, like, they're, they're envious. Like, not too many leagues have four strong leagues hmm. going, like, uh, a championship, uh, Premier League, League One, League Two. Like, if no, you went to, like, Spain, like, uh, Secunda B and all that, like, the standard is just terrible. Like, it's like... It's I was explaining that to uh, my son yesterday. We went to the Raw game again and uh, apologise to anyone who's seen the video of me dancing with the uh, Raw mascot. Um, <laughs> I've embarrassed. I've seen it on Cream Watch, Paul. I've embarrassed dads everywhere there. But I was explaining to him about the, uh, you know, the, the, the English game, the, the absolute depth of, of how far it goes down and the quality there. And he was asking me about other competitions. And I'm saying, look, you know, Bundesliga 1 and 2, um, uh, a great Serie A's great Serie Serie B, not so much, you know things like that. And I was just explaining to him that it's just unbelievable because once you go to Liga, it, I don't know how to say it, Liga de, um, Liga, oh Liga, un, but then you got Liga de. Once you go there, I've League seen, Two, <laughs> League Two, I've seen some absolutely horrendous football at that level. And when people bag, you know. I'm just saying, I'm completely concurring with you. Um, but then it comes back to also affordability. You know, there's a lot of people in England who are flying, as we said, to Germany to go and see um, first division games, get a hotel, get the ticket, everything. And it's cheaper than going to some of the Premier League games. Now, that yeah. is sad. The good thing about this is I know that us Villa fans are multilingual. That's also good. Yeah. We can count to three and Fred easy. Multicultural, you know, that's us got it all covered. One thing I want to say before we move down, because we, we, we do tend to forget every week before we go back onto the men's football. Amazing result for the Villa ladies yesterday. Yes. Yeah. They, they have come on leaps and bounds under Carlo Ward in the last couple of years, and they're, they're, they're really starting to go places. And I just think it's smart that we give them a nod mention here and there as well. And she's yeah, under give contract. The, um, give, us a, give us a score. I, I, I saw it somewhere. Give us a score line there, Spud. It was 1 all against Man yep. City. Um, yep. the, Man City went 1 0 up, and we, we equalised pretty rapidly. You know, Man City, Man City are uh, one of the bigger clubs. You've basically got Arsenal, Chelsea, United, and City, and they're miles ahead of everyone else. But Villa now are becoming the best of the rest almost. They're, they're, they're in fifth. And after just fighting relegation last year, with a smart uh, investment here and there, they've really come along. And the club are treating them, our owners are treating them as part of Villa's club, which is huge. Any oh. big game they get, they get Villa Park. It's, it's really good. So they should. But so they bloody yeah, should, mate. I mean, the, the A-League W... The AEW, which used to be, you know, I mean, it's the the women's comp there, it does get incorporated into um, that. They, they're all part of the one club, train same training facilities. I'll do double headers and things like that, which I know is impossible with with Premier League. Um, but it, I think for how much money there is in football, I actually think, and I'm not just talking Villa. I think a lot of the clubs piss poor highlight packages. The signings are, are generally. Um, even from Villa, are just pictures with nice graphics, which is great. I think there's far more that Villa can do. So I really appreciate you bringing that into the uh, the pod and, and we should talk about them more and we will. Yeah, 100%. Right, I still think we can do more. I still think we can do more. <laughs> yeah. It's all part of the one club, isn't it? That's, it's 100%. It. It's, it's, it's a club and it's a family. It's not different teams. Yeah. Um, you see us celebrating the under-19s, the under-21s in the, in the boys' and men's, and I think they need to do far more 
um, of highlight packages for the women's game as well. And that's not me sledging the club. I'm just saying I would love to see you do it more. I think the club are doing a really got, good job at the moment, though, of bringing that inclusivity for everybody. And I think that's a that's one of our that's one thing we'll be able to look back on in in the next few years. We've all of a sudden, since the new owners have come in, we've been really, really inclusive um, to anything Aston Villa. And not only just Aston Villa, but also to the community in, in, the, in the Midlands as well. And so they bloody should be, mate. It's embarrassing that we're in 2023 and these massive, massive, massive clubs are not doing more of that. Like, I, I hear you and I acknowledge and I do appreciate what they're doing. But to be 2023 in a club, all clubs, as big as the clubs in the Premier League, aren't doing a great job in it, mate. Because I've actually worked completely in that space. I did it for over a decade. I worked in women's sport, disability, um, uh, Indigenous in Australia. I worked in all of those as a community engagement manager. And I think Australia does a far better job than what England does um, in that space. So pick up your game and we'll keep pushing it forward as well. Mm. Our our intellectual disability squads for Villa get some really um, good coverage as well. So we've got Mm. wheelchair teams. We've got um, uh, intellectual disability teams. Um, other special abilities and to every one of those we we love you and you are absolutely part of your life but of course the majority of people their interest and let's just be honest about it let's not be politically overcorrect is it is the men's game is going to drive most of this for sure oh, it is yeah and, and, and that's where the interest comes let's 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 not let's not let's not um pretend otherwise you're, you're dead right Paul and that's a very good point to make but I and but as as I said I think it's just important to win but we do mention it from yeah. time to time under the one yeah. banner we are the one club and to be honest if the men are doing well and the women are doing well it means the club are doing well you know that's exactly 100%. right 100% yeah. um, guys I, 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 I've always say to my kids and I've coached a number of sports um, and I always say to them when they're really sledging referees or umpires we don't do that as a team and um you know, if there's no referees, no umpires, there's no game. And that's the fact. But last night, and I, I just said but, which is always I'm just about to go against that. <laughs> I, thought the referee, I thought the refereeing last night was horrendous. I, 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 in so many things, just the inconsistency. Um, I, you know, we can go on about VAR as well. But I think, for example, their goal, that uh, I thought straight away there was a foul. I didn't, you know, when you're watching it live and I went, damn it, that's a goal, but that was a foul. And then our players surrounding the referee, I don't like that to start with. We've said that in other pods. But um, Luis gets a yellow for his protest. And let's be honest, we don't know what words he used. And it could have been quite colourful. We don't know that. <laughs> but... It goes to VAR, and quite right, rightly, it was overturned. The VAR say, "Hey, you got." You, as soon as VAR says, "Come over and have a look," if they're going against the penalty, you know the penalty won't be given. If they're trying to give a penalty, it's going to be given. It's almost every time a referee's called over, it goes in favour of whatever the VAR person has told him. Right? He went over and took about two seconds to his credit to say, "Yep, that's a foul." How did he miss that? How did the how did the linesman or assistant referee miss that? He was put in the back. If he wasn't pushed in the back, he clears that ball easily. It's going right to him. I can't believe anyone can think that's not a foul. I don't think it was the push in the back that was the foul. I think it was the standing yeah. on his foot. Yeah, he threw it on his back of his heel, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, missed, I, I missed that at the start. I actually, I'm going to be honest though, Paul, when I first seen it, I was like, whoa, we've got away with one there. I was like, I thought we were very lucky. But then it was after that I seen the stamp 
And yeah, there um, was the stamp. There was the, there was the nudge in the back, which you know people get away with, and definitely there was the stamp on the back of the leg. But it, yeah. the, the other thing that people haven't noticed about that is it was it Ramsey who who copped it. Okay, Ramsey, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ramsey at both ends of the ground, actually. Yes. I reckon we should have had a penalty at the other end off Sally Sue, but anyway. I agree with that. But the, the one mm. thing that kind of – I watched it back again today, um, of course, because I'm an idiot. I watched the game back again this morning. And he Ramsey goes down, and he's looking up at the at what's happening in the play. When the goal scored, he drops his head. So he actually could have got up after that. I just found that kind of amusing as well. You go back and watch it. You'll see Ramsey kind of lie down like he's been injured or trying to get the free. Mm. And he looks up and sees the goal go in. Like, you'll see what I mean. You'll see what I mean. But, um, look, I, I just thought... We're street-wise now, though, Paul, I reckon. Like, I've re- I reckon the team... Looking at the team these days, you know, we used to be a little bit soft in certain bits and pieces and not appeal yeah. anything. But I think the team have got a lot more street-wise. And, that, again, I think that comes down to people like Martinez and Ashley Young, who who have got a bit of experience there and and, and a bit of shithousery about them. And they'll be saying to some of the young players, oh, if you feel that touch... Yeah, you've got to go down, and I've, I think that's part of being a bit more streetwise on our side. But didn't um, we sledge? Didn't we sledge Ashley Young a few days ago for doing something similar? Because he did get nudged in the back for the goal um, last week, and he went down. He, he, he barely got touched. He, he, he barely touched. Young, touched yeah, Ashley Young yeah. was disgraceful because it cost us a goal. To be honest, Paul, I, I, I think they're very different personally. personally. I, I don't, but that's why we're on this pod to agree and disagree, yeah. and, and that's fine. Um, Guys, I just thought overall, honestly, for both sides, I thought the refereeing was just did himself no favours. Um, I went to the Raw game last night, as I told you, and that referee. I said to my kids because um, one of the one of the girls who came along, it was my my son and daughter. Um, she's ten and she's learning about the game, and she really takes it in what's happening. She asks nonstop questions to the point where you sometimes want to say, "Shh, just watch." <laughs> but. But in other, but in, in other ways, I love it because she really wants to know. And the referee did not stop blowing the whistle last night. Like you could hear it. Like he would whistle, and then someone would disagree, and he'd whistle and whistle again. And it reminded me of the ref last night, just over the top. Yeah, it, it, the standard. I think the frustrating thing is is the standard just changes, doesn't it, from week to week, and decisions. You know, you see it given one week, it's not given the next, and there's no consistency in the game, which I think that's why everyone gets their back up. But look, there's going to be weeks like that, isn't there, where you get away with one and then you, you know, you, you're lucky you get one yourself. But I just want to touch on in that second half, I'm just really enjoying our midfield and the, like, you know, the balance and the blend we've got at the moment with JJ coming back in and Buendia playing with Kamara and Louise. I just really like, really enjoy watching those four go at it. And they're really fluid. And, you know, you'll see Buendia tuck in as like a false nine in the middle, but then you'll be dropping back out wide. Same with JJ. You know, they, they, we've got a real good balance there at the moment. I think Southampton really struggled with that and the movement of our players. And, yeah, it's, it's starting to click. And you can see Emery's now starting to get his, you know, his game plan into our guys. And, and the second half, we, you know, we grabbed the goal what was it, 78 minutes? And yep. for me, you know, bar from a 10, 20-minute period where Southampton were on top, I thought, you know, we dominated possession, looked comfortable in possession. And, you know, great finish by Watkins as well. What a header that is. Like, you know, textbook header from a striker, quality ball in from Louise, gets it nice and low, beats the keeper. And 
you know, that's going to do him the world of good. But yeah, I'm just really happy with our midfield at the moment. We've got McGinn to come back in. Uh, you know, he's going to create a bit of competition as well, but just a brilliant display from our midfield. Um, I think last night, guys, and, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, and I was thinking about it. I thought last night was another um, nail in, in, in McGinn's... I don't want to say coffin. It's a really horrible thing to say. I think it's another sign that McGinn will be going because... I just think we look much more balanced without him there. I, I, and, and Spud, you've got a very valid point that it's horses for courses and he may suit some games. Um, but I think he's definitely on the way out. Yeah, I, I think I think, I think, think because you can probably get a hand in a, a decent enough fee for him because he will probably only be eligible, like played in certain games, you'd probably take the money for him now if that's going to be the case, you know, like similar to Danny Ings. Because... Um, you like if you can get a bit of profit out of him, you probably will move him on because he he isn't going to play that regularly, I don't think. And um, yeah, look, it's, it's he'll be it's, good for another club though, Spud. He'll he'll really work for something. He, he he's a solid pro man. He gives a hundred percent. It's like the, he's definitely got a spot. But it's um, if we're going to transition into a, into a ball retention team, I just don't think that's anywhere near as strong a strength. And um, yeah. but like. But there's definitely a spot for him in a team, and there's definitely a spot for him in our team in certain games, as yes. I always say, yes. you know. But I just think as the team evolves, and it is going to take a while for us to evolve from a counter-attacking team to a possession-based team. That's going to take a while, a couple of windows. You can see it's already beginning to happen, but that's not something that just happens overnight. Mm. So I think you will see him play for games here and there for the rest of the season, but I just don't know we're going to see him in August, like when the season starts again. Um, Uh, Well, let's go into that. Uh, I was going to have this as a later point, if that's okay, guys. Matty Cash coming on late, and it was man, it was game management. Uh, A lot of the the commentators were saying, oh, that was planned for that period of time. But I actually think it was the counter to what was actually happening at the time. Matty Cash came on late, which must be, you know, really strange times for him. He came on for Bailey. That it just didn't look like it was planned. It looked like it was the management of that time of the match. And I just, it was another thing that I noted in the game um, that Emery's just he's just completely in control of his game. He's a manager in form. It was a, it was it was um, in, an answer to them doing the triple substitution yes. and getting getting more width on the pitch. So they yes. decided they decided to take Bailey off and bring Matty Cash on. Very sensible sub again, you know. And yeah. Louise off for Dendonka, I thought as well was a similar thing. Louise had been yellowed, and we'll go back to that VAR decision that oh. we got. Um, uh, in our favour against against their goal, um, Louise gets a yellow card, um, and now that can't be rescinded because it because who knows what he said to the ref, but that can't be rescinded even though the decision, um, you know that what they were arguing for was correct. Um, so uh, you know, a bit of a again a clever so a clever sub because like, you're one nil up. And then Southampton were going to push at some point. You can't have Louise on the yellow because you might need one of your midfielders to take a yellow with a couple of minutes to go by pulling someone back or just breaking up an attack. So you can't have Louise running the risk of the red there. So bring Dendonker on. He was probably told, take a yellow if you have to. Yep. Yeah, Moreno took, Moreno took one for the team because yep. um, Douglas oh, Louise was right. close by him. Pulling, and so I think pulled Moreno the, the had to take one. past him, didn't he, uh, Tess? And, and Moreno pulled him down? Yeah. Yeah, um, but good one for the team though. Man City, have done, Man City have done it for years. Tact, or tactical fouling. One will take, one will make the foul this time. The other fellow makes foul. Rodri used to do it. Fernand, Fernandinho would do it, and and they'd spread out the fouls so people weren't getting booked. It's very clever, like. Well, guys, you were touching on Martinez, and, and let's just let's just extol the virtues of him. 
that save from Gineppo, that was not just a good save. That was actually a wonder save. And, and it'll be one that's shown over and over and over again. And, and I just feel, once again, he's undersold by commentators. Like, I think we should just turn off the commentary or try and find a door stream. Because that well, what, save was amazing. What about the one even last week against see Jack Harrison? That's world class. Like, yeah. you know, spreading across your goal and he's, you know, bearing down to save that. And again, this week, like, he's just backing it up. And Harrison couldn't believe it. He, nah. he, done, he done everything you needed to do in that position there. Like and and even Martinez's starting position for that, he was he was a bit further back. He had no right to save that last week. No way. And it's just that that that's the kind of save that you know in the in the nineties Schmeichel would do something like that and it would get played over and over again. That save against Harrison, that's world class for me. Like that's just a, that's a game winning save. Like it's if good, that goes in, it changes the, the game. If you look as good as scoring a ball, like it's it's yeah, hundred percent. If you but watch the replay you, back, if you watch the replay back, you'll see um, when he made that save, you see Gineppo look at look over and like wonder what just happened there. Yeah. He, th- <laughs> he thought he'd scored, and he looked afterwards. He was like, "What?" <laughs> he had a, he had a similar one against Nanto last week as well when Nanto cut in and whipped one in the top corner as well for Leeds. Yeah, he's just he's so athletic, he's so mobile. It's crazy. Yeah, he's and to the like you say, of the first season as well. Yeah, it just wins you games, doesn't it? It keeps you in the game at, you know, tight points. And like you say, but they, they, they're worth... It's like a goal, isn't it? You know, saves like that. It just wins... They, they are in a position now where, like, like, we can score against any team. Like, we, we like Emery has never had a nil all draw in the Premier League ever in his, 50, uh, his management 57, career. 57, 57 games. Yeah, 57 you, games in. And, and the funny thing was, wasn't it? The commentary last night, they were talking about it just before we scored. Scored, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If you can keep a clean sheet, they're, they'll have goals. We've no one prolific that's going to get you 25 goals at the moment, but we have enough lads. There's goals in the team to spread around. So yeah. you keep a clean sheet, like there's a good chance we'll come home with three points. You know? and even if you about... just, sorry, just the um, interview that uh, he did afterwards, he made it pretty clear that, yeah, Watkins is my number nine, but it's not just on him to score the goals. We've got Ramsey around. We've got... Dougie around, we've got Bailey around, you know, we've got all these other players that need to chip in with goals as well. But he also you know, said, he also said, we, sorry. He, sorry guys, he also said um, that we are lacking strikers, so we know that that's going to happen in summer. We, in, 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 we know that's going to happen in summer, for, and I, that's pretty exciting stuff. Sorry, yeah. so I was going to ask you there, what did you think of uh, Coutinho's performance when he came on? Um, I, I don't think he really made an impact um there were one or two little touches where he won a free kick which is something you know which which was good for us because it gives us an opportunity to have a set piece um very clever in certain little bits and pieces but to be in in my opinion i don't i don't think he made too much of an impact he came on one or two touches won a couple of free kicks and then after that kind of disappeared in the game for me yeah what about you lads paul and rhino what was your thoughts on that I yeah, think he, I think he did. Ex- oh, sorry, Ryan, go, go ahead, buddy. No, no, you go, mate. You go. I, I was just going to say, I think uh, Tess actually said it really well. I think yeah. he was on there to almost um, bring fouls on to yeah. encourage time wasting and getting fouled. And I think he did exactly what he needed to do. Um, I actually think he was really good. I think he did exactly what he was asked to do. Yeah, I thought in the last game against Leeds was was really good when he came on. On this game, I thought he's a little bit seemed a bit out of the pace, and and that's kind of how it goes when you come on sometimes, though, isn't it? When you you know when you've got twenty minutes to you try and force it, you know, if, when you've played football, you you kind of 
try, you know, he's trying too hard, isn't he? But against Leeds, I thought it was really good. Southampton t- today, I thought same as Tess, a little bit anonymous when he came on, a little bit sloppy, but it's to be. I kind of expected to be honest when the game's sort of like that. Yeah, he, he he his passing wasn't very good last night. If you go statistically and have a look, but I mm-hmm. also think he was inviting pressure on, and, and I think Emery said to him, "I want you to do that. I want you to try and get the ball." He won two out of three contested tackles, which is not really his thing. Um, he didn't make many passes, but he was. Tr- I think what you need to look at with stats is use stats as your second thing. Use your eyes first, yeah, and then the That's stats. A good point. And he yeah. was trying so the stats to can be manipulated to suit any argument, really. They can. Yeah. And, and I had people today when I was discussing it saying, oh, he only got 10% passing. But but he was trying to get passes through. So, yeah. and, and so when you're trying to be creative and people are blocking him, they're considered unsuccessful passes. But his passes weren't sideways or backwards, which would manipulate his statistics. They were actually trying to play through. Um, to Watkins. The, so, the only thing I will say is, if I had a chance to shake Matty Cash at that game, I would have. I couldn't believe a couple of minutes to go and he gets down by the corner flag and instead of holding the ball, he played clears everybody and basically played it to their right back for a break. Like, I, I just, what are you doing, mate? <laughs> I know. One nil up away from home. Everyone knows. Take it to the corner flag. Pin it in there, waste a bit of time apart from Maddie Cash. He just lays it in. You didn't even see the lads in the box going, Why are you even trying to agree? And not to be on a negative with him, but I was thinking, because uh, if that was Ashley Young, he would have went over and stood on that ball at the corner flag and then probably dropped on the ground. If I could just go back to Coutinho for one minute, okay? For one second about Coutinho, and this will give more emphasis to why his passing wasn't at where it was. He actually passed the ball into the final third three times. So he was trying to create that that second goal. So I think he did everything that Emery asked. Was he perfect? No. Was he the, the dynamic guy we expect? No. But he did the job he was asked to do. For me, it's like with Buendia earlier this season, right? Coming off the bench, you know, these types of players need time, need minutes and consistency on the field to find their rhythm. And we're sort of seeing the reverse now where Coutinho's spending a lot of time on the bench, coming on and, you know, trying to force it. Whereas Buendia was doing the same earlier in the season. But now Buendia's getting a run. You're starting to see him settle into the role, you know, starting to have a bit more of a consistent game. So, yeah, it's... I mean, he believes he's part one. of the team now, like uh, Buendia, he believes he has a role in the team, whereas like, yeah. Gerard, he didn't really know what he was. Was he a holder? Was he a starter? Was he a bencher? He didn't know himself. You can see he's gaining in confidence, as you say, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. his, his tail's up now. He knows where his position is. He knows what's expected of him. Whereas earlier in the season, he was getting thrown on with 20 to go, make something happen. And it's like... You know, it's very hard for a player to come on and have an impact like, you know, with 20 minutes to go and you're behind. So, yeah, look, I, I still see Coutinho having a role until the end of the season, but then I think it'll be assessed in the summer again with the, you know, with the rebuild that's going on. And Buendia didn't really raise his arms too much yesterday. I read a report from someone, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, that, you know, Emery might have spoken to him about, you know, he's a really passionate guy and ends up throwing his arms up a lot or speaking a lot or getting involved with players. And I didn't see that from him yesterday, which was really nice to see. He was just getting on with the game and, and doing what he does. And he's earned his right, as I said in a previous pod, to be in that starting lineup each and every week. Yeah. yeah. Um, guys, um, can we touch on the away support yesterday? Oh, 
3,200 uh, tickets, official tickets sold. And we always know people get tickets beyond that as well. They were so loud. And, and people who were at the game, there were supporters we know, were saying, and they gave credit to Southampton, they were singing backwards and forwards to each other about Danny Ings, um, <laughs> which I thought was absolute class. Um, and uh, Yorny McYornface actually reiterated a few of those things. They were singing those songs backwards and forwards. Um, the We kind of raised their crowd by our crowd being so loud, and you could hear it. Um, I retweeted a video at the end of like Tyrone Mings, who is just a god. I don't want to say god and be blasphemous on Sunday. He's just a fantastic role model of a human being. He goes and takes his shirt off, and God, he's got an awful rig, hasn't he? Um, it reminds you of a young Mark Holmes. Well, yeah. well with a little bit, little bit more height, maybe. But, yeah. um, but he took his shirt off and gave it to a lady in the crowd, and she was so excited. And then um, I think it was Bondia, maybe I don't know who it was. He he went and threw his shirt um, over to uh, a dad with his kid, and the kid's face is absolutely priceless. He mm. is so excited and. That's really happening more and more. I know we've always been good like that, but the, the connection between especially our away fans and the team is as strong as I've seen in many years. And, Paul, as well, the connection amongst the players looks really good as well. They look, yes. they really look together and they, do, they do really look like they're all enjoying their football, you know? Oh, they're all smiling with each other, patting each other on the back. Every um, man is running into the huddle celebrating with each other. Yeah, it's, it's great yeah. to see. Like, And it's something that Emery touched on. He said he wanted to make sure the supporters were getting back in connection with um, the supporters because I felt like previous regime didn't really encourage that sort of thing. And the players uh, seem to be, you know, celebrating with the fans, giving their shirts away. They're signing autographs and taking photographs afterwards. And even even uh, Emery is leading by example. He talked, The first thing he spoke about in his interview, if I'm not mistaken, was how fantastic the support was. They were so loud. Like, it was... Yeah. I, I thought we were playing at home. It, it was from the first minute. Yeah, I could hear um, Holt Enders in the sky in the first minute and they didn't stop all game. It was really loud all the way through. That helps the players, though. It has to. It has to help yeah. the players. Like, like, if we can just transform that a bit into the home crowd, we're not going to go in on the atmosphere at home, though, because I don't get the game, so I'm not going to knock anyone that's there week in, week out, you know. But if we can if we can transform that and get 40,000 singing like that from first minute to 90, you'll see a huge difference. Like, like the, the players feed off that. You could not feed off that electricity on the pitch, like. I think that's a really common theme, and we can do an, uh, a podcast that's not Villa-related uh, down the track. It's a really common theme in world football at the moment. We talk about active support groups, and it seems to be really big in England, uh, the US and Australia, where the the ground expects the halt end or the den at the Raw or whatever Melbourne Victories is. We expect the, the, um, um, the active support areas to be the driver of the whole ground. And that means that the people on the wings or the other end where a lot of away support is don't seem to be involved as much. And I think hopefully that starts to progress a bit more where the whole ground is singing together. And I'm not, I'm the same as you, Spud. I'm not bagging those supporters who are in and out, but we need to get away from the focus of just saying the whole thing all the time, or just saying the Dan or just saying this, because go and look at Germany. Go and look. Uh, well, Germany's one of the best examples and, and other places where it's the whole ground joining in. South America does that amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. The atmosphere at Villa Park, like you say, is when it's on, 
it's it's one of the best, you know, when you go to a, a game there, a big game. and You're so close to the pitch there as well, right now. Uh, the fans are on top of the pitch, like the old yeah. stadium, like it's a great place. And it's they, a, they used to hold the FA Cup semi-finals because of the atmosphere alone, like back in the day. Yeah, right? it's an old school football ground, isn't it? You're right on top of the ground. You know, the, it's just a typical old school stadium where, you know, once it's rocking, the noise is just incredible. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And we're on a good run of results here. And it's just going to keep building. And, you know, we've got some of the best fans around. Like I say, the way support is incredible. I've been to a couple of Villa away games myself. And... Never been to an away game uh, right oh. now. That's oh. I've, I've, been, I've been to the playoff final at Wembley and stuff and finals and things like that. Yeah. But I've never actually specifically been to an away league game, man. And a, an away game, a funny one for you fellas, right? Oh. So one of the away games I've been to is... Um, it was Cardiff away, and Cardiff's ground is about 20 minutes from my parents' house. So I'm in with the, the Villa fans, me, my brother, my dad, my uncle, all thick Welsh accents from the valleys, in with the Villa fans. And you can tell people looking at us thinking, what are these boys doing in this end? Do you know what I mean? They're like, they're traders. Who are these guys? Uh, but yeah, we always travel strong, and, and they is just. Is your dad a Villa fan as well right now? What's that? Is your father a Villa fan as well? Yeah, through association with um, from my brother and myself, to be honest, like he's he's jumped on because of us, basically. Oh, but no, that's, right, Rhino, that's my dad. My dad, um, being you know from Melbourne in Victoria and being an, you know an AFL boy, he yeah. follows all sports around the world. But he now is passionate Villa because of me, and I love, love it. that. Yeah, it's amazing, and yeah, and like you say, when when you go to these away games. It's just incredible. And, and like you fellas saw, you know, when we went to Brisbane to watch Villa Leeds, the amount of Villa fans was just unbelievable. So You guys might laugh at this, but I actually was going through the amount of home games I've been to and amount of way. And I've actually been spud because I think it must be um, coming from Melbourne originally where uh, in AFL you, you go to home and away, like you go to every game. And I yeah. think that's kind of was in my head when I travelled overseas and, and lived over there and stuff like that, is that you just go... I just went to every game I possibly could. And I think at one point I'd been to more away games than home games. Yeah, it's just so hard to get tickets for away games. Now, oh, it is. Yeah. It is. But somehow, I don't know if it was being an Aussie or people just kind of going, oh, we've got this Aussie who, who comes to games. Always, <laughs> yeah. have, to, always have to scrounge an away ticket. Yeah, the uh, no, no, I know. It's something I want to do. There's two things I want to do now. I want to see us play a European time. I want to go to an away league game. There's two things I want us to do. Like, well, I'm going to tell you a third. I cannot wait, and I truthfully mean this with every element of myself. I can't wait to go to a home and away game and a Europe game with you four guys. Uh, you, oh, sorry, all four of us. That that is something I think we we will make a reality one day, and that will be just unbelievable. Start saving. We'll be there next year. So, yeah. <laughs> I, might, I, I might have to wait a year or two. We've got some of you guys have got young families. You might have to wait a couple of years, boys. No. Can you, no. Can you imagine the atmosphere on the Thursday night, the first European game back at Villa Park? Though, can you imagine? Oh, oh you won't get tickets. I mean, that that's just going. Oh, I get tickets made if they're at home, all right. <laughs> if they're away, probably not. But if they're at home, I get a ticket made. Even if I have to climb up the side. <laughs> um, guys, I, look, we always talk about the positives, but they, you know, and, and I know Tess has been on this and looking the same as me because we've been on similar kind of um, social media kind of rants today. I can't believe the amount of people that, and it's only the vocal small minority, I'm going to be fair there. I can't believe how many people have been saying that Watkins has been poor, um, Bailey was no good last night, all these different things. I'm not sure sometimes these people watch the same games. 
what uh, can some you... people some people are watching games Paul man and they're just waiting to pick up their phone to moan man it's terrible like, what, like yeah. how why, how can that be enjoyable like if you can't enjoy the good moments how are you ever going to enjoy football you know like it's just like of course the, that performance wasn't perfect like for 90 minutes of course it wasn't but we're not we're, like we're not top of the table like we're not undefeated in 38 games like we're a work in progress like that is far better than anything we've seen for the last couple of years. Like it's just, uh, just annoying. Mm. It, it's frustrating to to. I I don't. Some of those that minority, I genuinely wonder if they are actually watching the game or they're just watching a highlight or two from here or there, because if you're watching the game, we're fortunate enough to be out over here that we can watch the full ninety minutes and every ninety minutes of Premier League football. But you watch the game, and we were in the Championship a few seasons ago, and now we've got a manager who is basically making a making a clear out of some deadwood, in all honesty, and trying to make the players that we've got better. And the reality is, he's done that. And there are other, t- you know, football isn't about Aston Villa for 19 minutes peppering other teams and scoring 100 goals because other teams are going to have opportunities to score against us. It's how we deal with it. And I felt like we dealt with it really well yesterday. We got a clean sheet. The keeper's making some fantastic saves. The the midfielders are dominating the game. 60-odd, 69% possession around the, that mark, if somebody can correct me. We had a really good game. And sometimes players aren't going to be going out there to score goals. Sometimes players are going out there to do a job because it's about being tactically right to win the game. And that's what we did. And that's what Unai Emery is bringing. That's a good point, Tez. And I think, going back to Bailey and Watkins, they were doing the dirty work yesterday, and you guys have touched on it. You know, they were, you know, you see Bailey tracking back deep to cover, you know, uh, Marino, and same with Watkins, just hassling their, you know, their back line. And, and they're not going to score every game, you know, they, but they're doing the dirty work and putting a shift in, and that's all you can ask. And like Spud said earlier, we've got goals in this team that can be spread around, so... Yeah, those guys are there to do a job, and if they're not scoring and they're working hard, that's all you can ask, isn't it? When well, did you think of Alex Marino yesterday, lad? I thought he was solid. I thought he had a couple of moments again where he looks like he's a little bit off the pace. But for me, I, there's some really nice things. I think he's a really good footballer, really good left foot. And I think once he gets a rhythm in this league, he's going to be a real asset for you us. You can see why Emery's kind of brought him in, what he's trying to bring to the team. Can't you? Very smart. He, he's a very smart footballer. You can tell that. Well, that we already touched on that foul that he gave. Well, I think Tess touched on that. Um, he's very smart. He seems very, and I think that he is the typical kind of Emery signing. He really signs smart footballers, not just the, the physical uh, capabilities. And last night he was unlucky. A couple of the passes he were trying to slide through just didn't get through. Um, so you know. Imagine coming into a, a, a league that the pace is up 10%, and this is his second game and his first full game. I think he's doing remarkable. Yeah, I thought he, I mean, the first game he came on sooner than probably Emery would have wanted because of Dean's injury. He came on, and you know, first few touches and the first few minutes were a little bit sketchy. Um, but after that, he just grew into the game, could have, could have yep. scored a goal. His defending was really good. Cleared one off the line where they um, Leeds could have scored. You know, he's done a really good job since coming in. Looks, we look a bit more defensively solid. Um, he seems to have already built up a pretty good rapport with Tyrone Mings, uh, and um, I think JJ as well. They were trying to do a, a couple of triangles together and stuff. So, um, looks like a, a good signing. And I think, yeah, as uh, Rhino said, once he gets a little bit of 
rhythm uh, in, and, and the pace of, of the game in the Premier League, um, he's going to be a good signing for us. Guys, let's look at the table. Um, now, you know, a few weeks ago, we were looking down and up and, and saying, you know, where what can happen here? We still need to get a little bit clear of relegation. We didn't think we'd be in relegation. None of us said we'd be in relegation battle. Um, but... We touched on before sixteen points out of twenty-one. We all would have absolutely ripped, you know, ripped something off to, to get sixteen of twenty-one. Um, from there, uh, we're now eleven points clear and goal difference of relegation. So that's not going to happen because that's basically twelve points. Um, but Tottenham in fifth are only five points ahead of us. At what point do we start thinking that Europe is now a possibility? I did that two de- two games ago. I was th- I, I think talks about the pod. You did? Yeah. I think but, I think Emery is looking at the squad and saying so far they've done what we, we need a bit of consistency. They've done what I've asked them to do. And given a couple of signings, I think he thinks that to himself that it's possible to get around those Europa Cup places. I, I, I genuinely believe that he's trying to do that this season uh, and not just solidify top half finish. I think he's actually trying to go for it. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Tez. I think a couple of sign-ins in that squad. We're a little bit thin on the ground at the moment and you'd expect a couple more to probably maybe go out with, you know, Marvellous Nakamba wasn't even on the bench yesterday and, you know, you're looking at Sanson as well. But if we could just get a couple more bodies in just to give us a bit more strength in depth, then anything can happen. And and this season's really interesting because you're seeing some of the top teams, Liverpool, Chelsea, struggling, and Tottenham as well, not in great form. So there's a real window of, you know, being able to get into these European spots. So why not? Well... Guys, I honestly, when Tess said it a couple weeks ago, and I'm not putting you down, Tess, I think it's marvellous that you... you, you ooh, brought ooh, up. ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Paul bagging Tess. Paul bagging Tess. Um, I, uh, I honestly didn't think it was a possibility, but when you look at the actual table and just get into the logistics of it, we're dead set a chance, and that is so unbelievably exciting. Um, I did want Liverpool and Chelsea to be a draw yesterday because I thought, well, imagine jumping Liverpool and Chelsea. I mean, that would be a monumental performance in itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap up soon, lads, because I have to bring my, my daughter to bowling, give her a bit of attention before this new baby comes over the next week or two. But the, um, <laughs> I just want to, want to say with the climbing, um, yeah, we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago about the European places, and, and we've, we were after getting a good bit of consistency going now, but the next jump is going to be tough. Like, there's some good sides ahead of us now, but I think they can be caught. But with Chelsea, Chelsea, Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, like, you know, they're, they're, they're good. But the way we're going... Couple of more wins, like it's just we seem to have been in eleven forever, though. But at the moment, but, uh, I, I think I think we need to beat Leicester because uh, no, I'm not one hundred percent sure. But I'm, would I be correct in saying City and Arsenal straight after that? Then is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's Arsenal straight after Leicester, or maybe City actually. But yeah, definitely Man City, Arsenal. The next two games. The next away game is uh, City anyway, so it's probably them yeah. that's in the drone. Well, we'll, yeah. wrap, we'll wrap up in a second because we'll do a um, we'll do a preview event. Uh, we've got a couple of weeks off, so we'll we'll do a podcast this week. Or not us have a couple of weeks off. The team has a break again, just as we hit form. Um, 
But I did want to ask you guys about a signing that's being touted and before you go. And I actually see it as being another extreme positive because I think this guy's got a lot of capability and, and it got a little bit of grealish about him, if I can say that. And that's Gordon from Everton. But there's a real, real emphasis of, of the, or a possibility that he could come to Villa. What would you think of that signing, guys? Oh, it depends on the price for me because there was a crazy amount being uh, bandied about when he was linked to Chelsea. Obviously a real talent, but haven't seen it enough, I guess, for me to be spending $60 million on him. Um, well, they're saying, we could, they're saying it could be, um, as, it, as it goes on at the moment, never been in big trouble, it could be uh, as little as $40 million and 60000 a week, which is way less than a lot of players. I, I would snap him up in a heartbeat. He is fast. He is pacey and opposition supporters hate him. I think he'd be awesome. I, I think, I don't know, the few games that I've watched of Everton, he kind of seems to play in the same type of role as what JJ does sometimes. Uh, for me, yeah, I think he plays faster than, I think he plays faster than JJ. I think he plays a Bailey role, but on the other side. Yeah. Interesting. It's an interesting one. Um, Everton are down in the dumps at the moment and, facing a real possibility of relegation um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know his his people are looking around to see if anybody might be interested he got hounded by the Everton fans in his car the last day as well after the game for giving away that free kick they set up a roadblock and the Everton fans surrounded his car not all, not all the Everton fans a group of Everton fans surrounded his car yes. did you see that video on all hand yeah there yeah. was multiple videos so, they actually they were actually waiting for the players cars to come yeah, out so um, he was one of them but um, <laughs> Yeah. If, if Everton were to go down, I'd be looking at your man Onana. He's class. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's only 20 as well. He's a big boy, big, strong lad. Um, the, yeah, I, I, could, I, I could see him slotting in, adding a different profile to our midfield as a different option. Because, lads, let's be honest, we are happy with our midfield. If we were to slip into Europe, like we'd need to add some serious depth to that, that, that squad because you're taking on an extra game. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you've seen a lot of teams teams with bigger squads than us like Arsenal struggled to juggle the two game the two the two games last year. Remember the year Burnley got in there, then they got relegated the year, didn't they? Didn't they? Then they got relegated the year yeah. they went to Europe because they couldn't find the balance. It happens to Spurs. So hey, that's true. Quick so, quickly because you're going Spud. Um we'll do yours first. Let's go your three two one. Go for it. My three two one for the, the, the performances? Uh yeah well individual players three two one three bands, uh, number three two, for one. me three points to Martinez for me he was yep. man of the match uh, two points to Louise. I thought he was excellent. And my one point would probably go to Watkins. Over to you, Rhino. Um, I'm going to go my man of the match, Douglas Louise, followed by Jacob Ramsey and then Emmy Martinez for me. Love it. Over to you, uh, Tess. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, man of the match to Martinez, Dougie Louise in second, and finally forgetting the goal, Watkins. I went Martinez. I went Watkins not only for his goal, but his work rate was incredible. And actually gave one to Kamara because I believe he sacrificed some of his game for the game plan. So mm. that we we all went a little bit different there, which is great. It means mm. a lot of players contributed. Make no mistake though, Kamara's different like a different level. Like he's 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 unbelievable. And the way that he can um adjust to to suit the way that we're playing, I mean his brain is operating game. on a different level to the rest of them. Like, yeah, the way he like his football IQ is through the roof. Yeah. Uh, so. well, well, guys, we're going to give the podcast a, a wrap up there. Um, we hope we've covered a bit. We have um, 
a new Facebook group, which we'd love you guys to join as well. It's called Aussie Dylan's Podcast and Villa Chat. You can send in an invite there and we will accept you in. It's Aussie Dylan's Podcast and Villa Chat on Facebook. We're also at Aussie Dylan's, capital A, capital V, on Twitter as well. Have a look out for our podcast questions and polls there as well. We can get um, Spud at... At Spud4685. At Tess at... Cuban underscore Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T. Rhino at... Rhino underscore Watkins. And I'm Paul underscore Football. We will speak to you throughout the week. Up the villa. Up the villa. Up the villa. Spud, get out of here. Thanks for joining us for Up the Villa, the Aussie Villains podcast. I was Paul, your host, joined by Tess, Spud and Rhino. And uh, you can get Up the Villa, the Aussie Villains podcast through Twitter at Aussie Villains. We also have a Facebook group and Facebook page. This is all about the villa. A little bit of an Aussie slant with an Irish voice, a Welsh voice, an English voice and an Aussie voice as well. Up the Villa.